Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the NXT Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture. Michael Sidgwick still enjoying that well-earned week off uh, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT and AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, joined by Michael Hamlet to look back on NXT, though. And I don't know whether it was because I didn't have to watch it after watching two hours of Dynamite or just having a bit of extra sleep, but I really enjoyed this episode of NXT. Yeah, um, not to be completely predictable and base this as we sometimes do, and my thought immediately travelled to Fastlane this year, on our viewing circumstances, yes. because people... People's viewing circumstances are different. Not everybody has the same. Um, but we've gone over the difficulties sometimes when you pick him on show over the other, how hard it is to invest in that second two hours on a, the early hours of a Thursday morning. Um, yeah, this was a, a breezier watch um, from a viewing experience standpoint. But away from that, I want to suggest that this was kind of what we were hoping for from an episode of NXT. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. Um, there's going to be things that were, and I don't know, we might disagree on those things, but there's going to be things that I think we're going to maybe going to pick out a little bit um, but it did, you know what? This had a more of a raw after WrestleMania vibe about it than the raw after WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, we'd said on the raw review that the bar was set like shockingly low. So NXT only needed a tiptoe over it, let alone hurdle it. Um, but they flew over it. It was, it, I got a sense here of the energy that you only get when a bunch of guys aren't fighting the same people over and over again. Yes, there was a couple of things that were teased that would suggest that we're like feuds aren't over and the like. But matches felt fresh, a couple of nice shocks, a couple of good moments. Um, and I felt like we were watching a start. The show that never has a finale mm. finally felt like it had a season premiere. And I think that, like, when WWE can replicate that, it's like so helpful for the shows. 
yeah, I mean, it wasn't a hard reset a la Eric Bischoff joking with Sid about some scissors, but it was as close <laughs> to a hard reset as we could get on NXT in terms of like, if you're new to watching the show, here's the champions, here's the future challengers, here's the issues that these people have. I thought it was it was perfect in terms of in terms of just setting it up for uh maybe more casual viewers who thought like I often used to. Right, after WrestleMania, I'm gonna start watching NXT on a weekly basis. <laughs> I'll say this, it's, um, you've dropped obviously casual in there and we talk about casual fans a lot, whether or not they even exist at this point, I, I don't really know. Um, but I thought as much as it did do that, as much as there was stuff for casual, so as you say, to kind of lay out who's who, an intro, a nice introduction where necessary to all the champions, to most of the key figures, we saw them all here. Um, I don't think it felt grabby. You know, no. it didn't, there wasn't, there wasn't that sense that, which NXT, Christ, how grabby has it been in the Wednesday Night War era? It didn't feel like it was trying desperately to hook somebody and then keep them with this and keep them with this. It was structured very much as if, yes, we want to just showcase all our top stars, but this is for the regulars as well. We're not doing too much, too flashy, too fast to try and keep people that have tuned in out of curiosity on the hook with anything desperate. And that was probably, when I really think about it now on reflection, having watched this episode, that was perhaps what I wanted more than anything was for just things not to feel quite so desperate. So a good start on that point. NXT has gone from being the, the teenage boy who tries everything to get the girl to eventually getting the girl, hopefully, by realising that he doesn't really need to try so hard. Yes, yeah. yeah. nice analogy. Um, so the show opened up with the new NXT champion. I still love that. I thought it was great to have him on first just for that entrance because he was just like, oh, I'll see what NXT's like. Oh my God, who's this guy? Uh, new NXT <laughs> champion, Karrion Cross, uh, comes down, of course, with Scarlett. Um, you know, a bit of bollocks that they have to talk, but it was it's WWE speak at the end of the day. He says, time comes full circle. It was only a matter of time before I became champion again. Put over Balor, though, is one of the greatest of all time. He said, uh, Balor thought that Cross... Uh, Cross's weaknesses were going to be his emotions, but he used his emotions to his advantage. Uh, he said he's in command of NXT until he says otherwise and said, if anyone wants to step up, that's what they need to do, basically, if they want, wants to challenge him for the NXT championship. Simple, but effective, I thought. Yeah, um, like all the wrestling legends, um, he dropped that everyone pays the troll toll at the end. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm assuming he's going to like move to the uh, Danny DeVito onesie now rather than wrestling trunks ever again because everybody indeed does pay the toll no matter how many zeros are on your check um a little bit wwe but what else this is a wwe show so what else would you expect i agree with you i thought this um there was a definite less is more vibe here you got the major entrance you got a guy coming out with the top belt pr promoting himself as the top guy nothing wrong with a bit of i told you so energy because Ooh. it reminds you that a guy can back up his words um, I don't think Karrion Cross's matches have been as impressive as everything else about his act. So the most you can do to maximise the other things of his act when he's not fighting, the better. Um, so I think this was this was relatively effective. We didn't get there. I like there was no direct somebody stand on the ramp issuing a challenge. Um, I don't think we were terribly wrong about who could be one of his first contenders mm -hmm. based on something else later on in the show. Uh, but yes, less is more. This was this was effective. And that makes sense to be fair that no one stepped out and challenged him immediately because if I'd watched what happened to Finn Balor at Takeover, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, maybe give it a few weeks. Maybe have a think about this. Um, so <laughs> then we get introduced to the show. I love the fact throughout this show, they kept saying, it's the most watched Takeover ever. And all I could think was, right, is that 
because of you know TV viewership, Peacock viewership, network viewership, etc.? Or is it because more than likely, I think it's this second one, Michael Hamlet. They went uh, add the two numbers from two nights together and make it one takeover. That's blatantly what they've done, isn't it? Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Like they'll. I heard something from Nick Khan um, talking about Fastlane. Nick Khan, not to be confused with Tony Khan, of course. Nick Khan's WWE's new guy. Um, and he said something like, oh, the fast lane numbers, they were just record-breaking. We were absolutely over the moon with them. Um, we're not going to tell you what they were because uh, NBC, NBC asked us not to. It's a peacock thing. It's not a WWE thing. I'm thinking, hang on, pal. Like, fine, if you say so. I have no evidence to prove you otherwise. But they were huge. They were record-breaking. They were, we don't want to tell you them. <laughs> when has wrestling ever, ever done that? Ever. Like, even, when it's, even when it's a good number, it lies and makes it bigger. Um, so, yeah, the biggest number ever, it does feel... Does feel fudged, but again, um, I think this plays back to your original point at the start of the podcast. If you come into NXT relatively cold, they're going to want to they're going to want to make you feel like this product is hot, despite the fact that it's just lost the rest of them war. So, uh, like this is cock. I don't justify it, but it's cardy stuff, isn't it? <laughs> I heard those mumblings. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, last last couple it was a. Uh, you know, the fans the, the Daddy Drip Lake said it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you finish a marathon, you win a marathon by uh, on, at the end, finishing first. And that's exactly what they did. So, and not by finishing, <laughs> Nobody, uh, because in the oh, you won the mar- you won the marathon because you uh, won it for your demographic. I'll oh, piss off. <laughs> I don't remember um, anybody measuring uh, miles one through 25. It was mile 26. And uh, who broke the finish line? Did <laughs> miles one through 25, 25 during, <laughs> during which time NXT took a bus? But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move on next to uh, one of the, the, first, the first of two t- title matches of the night. The uh, NXT tag team titles on the line: MSK versus Maverick and Dame. We went into this knowing this was going to be a sort of weird babyface versus babyface dynamic, and MSK kind of got booed during this. I don't think they realised how over Dane and uh, Maverick are. It was it was weird. This, but an enjoyable match nonetheless. I NXT has a problem with this at the moment. This is not the first time where the agent in of a tag match has sort of betrayed who the baby faces are. I appreciate that Killian Dane and Drake Maverick, as you say, are quite popular and are quite over. And they've never... Um, I think where they went wrong with Dane and Maverick was that they were at a point where they probably should have been slotted into the upper echelon of the tag teams. And instead, they became probably the most popular jobbers. Mm. You know, they became the sort of the best of the worst rather than actual genuine contenders. Um, and this was maybe NXT's comeuppance for that because people were genuinely thrilled to see them get a shot, even though the result was never in doubt. And it did sort of hamper the middle of the match, I thought, because it's uh, it's like Xavier Woods screaming to Michael Cole, we are effectively cutting the ring in half. Mm. Like, yes, but it's really hard then to be the baby faces. And I think MSK had that problem with Drake Maverick. You build into a hot tag of Killian Dane. And then really all you can do when Dane's in there is escape rather than fight back. Like rolling, I love the spot, I love the spot. But rolling out the way of the power bomb so that Dane just plants Maverick hard on the mat. <laughs> it's a great spot, but it's an escape, isn't it? It's not using all these amazing flash skills that we've become accustomed to. So the yeah, the match played out wonkier than I would imagine. A couple of little misfires, but they recovered it massively at the end. Love the finish. Um MSK are too exciting not to love the finishing sequences. They still, I think, like perfect opener as well, because yeah. you want to whatever NXT is and the the philosophy has never been more muddled about what it's really hard. One of the reasons people didn't connect, I don't think, in the Wednesday Night Warrior was because the sales pitch was never clear. Is this developmental? 
is this WWE's third brand? Are we seeing the stars of tomorrow today? Are we seeing the stars of yesterday today? It was so muddled and never clear. I don't think the show did much to clear that up. Mm. But what this told you was, it was destination television. You need to be here. These are, these are definitely the future. Even if their future is in NXT for the next 10 years, because nobody moves up and down through Raw <laughs> and SmackDown anymore. Right now, look how young they are. Look how cool they are. They've got belts. Um, and look what they can do. So I thought this was very effective. If we're picking the match apart, there's been better nights for MSK. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, I'm not complaining, but Dana Maverick have a certain type of match, and that is is what it is. Like you say, you just have to try and work around that, and it doesn't really play into it if you're a team of babyfaces taking that on, because Maverick gets his head kicked in, and then Killian Dane comes in and runs wild. That's what happened. You mentioned the, the powerbomb spot. Uh, Maverick actually got a, a small package at one point. No, no one was, even I wasn't buying that that was going to be the title. <laughs> um, in the end, though, as you mentioned, MSK hit uh, Drake Maverick with their sort of heart attack blockbuster combo thing. Uh, Carter flip dive to the outside to take out Dane. One, two, three. Post match, Alexander Wolf comes down to uh, confront Killian Dane uh, to try and presumably rec- continue recruiting him for Imperium. Marcel Bartel and Fabian Knight you come in, beat the crap out of Dane and stand tall. What do you think of the post-match? Fine. Um, just fine. Like, it's they've moved an angle forward. Killian Dane and Drake Maverick are going to have a feud with Imperium. Um, is it going to be another one of the Thatcher thing where they're, they're trying to beat some sense into Dane? Um, you know, they've got the They've got previous insanity, haven't they, as stable mates? So there's that, I guess. Um, I will say this. Like, I'm not wowed by a Killian Dane Drake Maverick versus versus Imperium match, but I am wowed by um, the prospect of Killian Dane fighting Walter once. Yes. And I'd like like a round two of Walter versus Drake Maverick because they really, really blew that last time. So if this is to get us there, like, fine. Like too, it's too functional because Imperium are too boring. That's that's what like if you put a hotter tag team in there, or a hotter act in general. I think this goes over way better. This is pretty solid angle advancement, but there's too much evidence to suggest that Imperium matches are never going to pay off. No, it is a means to a Walter basically. Imperium is yeah, it? yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, well, I hope so. I hope so because I'm I'm not terribly interested in it if it's just tag stuff. And who knows, maybe that's been the plan all along, hence why they did the sort of very brief Drake Maverick match and went, ah, if you want to see a chop, you're going to have to watch him fight uh, Champa, mm-hmm. and then we can get the Drake Maverick chop. So maybe this credit to be due to, to NXT. We'll have to wait and see on that one, though. Uh, Robert Stone was backstage uh, with Aaliyah. Um, I think he had, did he have diamond gloves on, did they say? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> um, he was trying to head to, to Regal's office when they got... Uh, Caught up with is the best way I think of describing it by Mercedes Martinez. Never want someone you want to bump into in a tight hallway because she's terrifying and I bloody love her. She wanted to know <laughs> where her money was, basically. Grabbed mm. Aaliyah by the throat, started choking her out of stone. I'll get you your money. Sort of tried to explain himself. Jesse Kamika steps in face to face. It's official. There's a match later on, which yeah, is convoluted. But yeah, OK, Jesse Kamika versus Mercedes Martinez. I'm in for that. I genuinely haven't minded Mercedes Martinez diversion through Robert Stone mm. to just kind of refresh that character a little bit after the um, Tony Storm Io Shirai series. Mm. Um, Martinez fell short, so has kind of had to go back to the drawing board, has briefly interacted with these goobers for money, for nothing more than money. She's not lowering herself in status. She just wanted mm. the cash. She's done it. 
and gradually all of this might lead her to getting a shot again. She's not just being gifted it. It's something that's going to have to linger in the background. But I, I like, I don't really mind this. It's basic, but I don't mind it. Mm. Uh, we got a TakeOver exclusive next. There was highlights of that unsanctioned match, uh, which looked a lot better in a highlight package, in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. uh, between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Um, they showed uh, Kyle O'Reilly actually collapsing po- uh, backstage post-match. Mm. And I really enjoyed the bit where they both rushed, not enjoyed rushing them to the hospital, but the bit where they've been rushed to the hospital, they're, they're being rolled through it. And in the midst of all that, Adam Cole, who's strapped down to ensure his neck doesn't move, to ensure that the best possible safety is still like, I'm going to f- kill you, Kyle. <laughs> I don't know, I quite like that. I'm just both men are on, are on death's door and still like, I hate you still. And what me a bit. Yeah, I got like, I got mixed feelings about this because the bit was cute. Like, I'm with you on that. That It really was quite cute that like you've got two people in stretchers shouting at each other. There was an element where they were more like old men than like battle-worn wrestlers. Mm. You know, they're like the, the two old fellas that have hated each other for years, but they've got nobody else to hang out with well into their night years. So they just sit with each other every day in the park and they just like rant at each other. Statler and Waldorf, the, the yes. last two members of the, un, the Undisputed Era, basically. Um, so it was like, I thought that was cute. Them, like Cole shouting at him from the stretcher. I actually quite like the drama of Kyle O'Reilly collapsing backstage after the match to sell the, the danger of it. What I cannot get away with... I, and like this is why that this is why 40 minutes was too long and why Thursday was so indulgent and people love this match and I saw a take um who was it man I think it was I think it was Benno yeah he's of the grapple podcast which is a good podcast but listen I was first if you can listen to um who made a point on Twitter that and it was it was a great way to cut down a take in a way that I couldn't think to do it was that if you really loved Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly and thought it was your match of the year. I'm jealous of how little wrestling you have to watch. And I thought, yeah, that's per- that is per- like that like that view has to come from people that just aren't watching that much wrestling because there's yeah. too much good stuff that's wrapped in, that's wrapped in 20 minutes instead of 40 that isn't quite as indulgent. The problem with all that indulgence, the problem with all that runtime is that if you're aiming to set up a rematch, you've already done it all. You know, you've already done yeah. it all. You cannot and it only gets more indulgent because you only have to push it further. I point you to Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano from TakeOver Toronto when yeah. they had nothing else left to do and it was like, well, we could sell a tape a bunch of weapons to a cage. Get it down. Write that down. And they had nothing for that third that third stage of hell or whatever it was because they like had this epic at TakeOver New York. They had this epic rematch at TakeOver 25 and you were done. You were just done. And then they dare to book. It was three stages of hell, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're right. So you had a... T- you had the matches they got to pick and then William Regal's dangerous choice. <laughs> and it was so uncreative and it was so indulgent. And that went 50 minutes or whatever it went. And you just cannot do it. Like if you're going to go 40, it's got to be the end. And ideally it's got to follow matches that have only gone 20 and have left stuff behind. Mm. You know, you've actually left stuff still. I, I don't think there's any story left for them to tell. And yet here we go. We're going to get more of it. It's, it's a feud that can't end. It's a, uh, you know, like this would benefit from ending. Honestly, this would benefit from Kyle O'Reilly thinking he was done with Adam Cole. If you want to revisit it, do it in six months, eight months, a year. And yet my sinking feeling here was next takeover. Next takeover. Great. Yeah, like I I, I want them to have a, a big 
you know what, this town's not big enough for the both of us sort of thing. But like you say, what next? A super unsanctioned match when we really don't endorse on NXT? I don't know. And like you say, no, that's it. Let alone, let alone. We're going to get, we're going to get yours. We're going to get Lisa Leeds. Do that are new. Like, what spots can they do different from what they've already done? So here's you called it. Um, I think we're going to get Lisa Leaves as the yes. as the stipulation. So there's your stip. It doesn't necessarily. They've done unsanctioned. They've, they've, as you say, they've done everything to each other. So Lisa Leaves is the kind of only way to at least make the match matter. Um, but how would you put things in there that make the match matter? And who? It's working on the assumption that let's say Adam Cole loses, what can they do to each other physically without say relying on run-ins or relying on more melodrama to get it over? It's I, like I'm not hyped for Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly two, and I put that at the feet of Adam Cole Kyle O'Reilly one. <laughs> They've just sat there in their hospital beds. You know what? Bobby Fish isn't half half bad. No, he's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> right, now I'm starting to. Be- so I get where you're coming from there. <laughs> Mercedes Martinez, uh, Jesse Camilla was next. Uh, Camilla actually got some good offense in, and then Mercedes mm. Martinez was Mercedes Martinez running knee strike, modified air raid crash for the one, two, three. Post match, she just grabs Robert Stone, and the money just sort of pops out of him eventually. It felt like, it felt like she just shook him, and the, I mean, she grabbed it herself, but it felt like, just take, take everything, take the diamond gloves, please just have no hurt me. Uh, and then uh, apparently, Vic Joseph is the conduit to get to Raquel Gonzalez because she yelled at him, announcing that, yeah, she was targeting the new NXT Women's Champion. That's going to be a tasty match. I guess so, yeah. Um... Yeah, I liked all of this. As I say, I think the Martinez stuff has been, I think you can call it, you can, you know, a noble attempt to rehabilitate her after the, the Tony Storm Eoshirai feud. Uh, she's proven herself against, I mean, Jess, let's be honest, Jessica Mia maximised the minute, didn't she? That's what yeah. she did. Like she, she made the best of getting battered. Um, Martinez probably needs to win a couple more, but my t- takeaway from this was that she will. I yeah. think, I imagine, well, they, they don't rate, you know, they don't race to Gonzalez now. She'll beat at least one other person before getting that match. And Martinez Gonzalez is a great first defense for Gonzalez, too. She confronted uh, Zoe Stark later on, didn't she? So that's going to be mm, a yeah. stepping stone. Uh, not that Zoe Stark is a stepping stone, but right now it's the right position for her. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed, again, perhaps because I hadn't watched two and a half hours of wrestling by the time it happened, was the way I really got to enjoy this backstage promo they cut. Uh, Johnny Gargano is just a boy popper. It's cuckoo bananas. This this main event, main event eight man. Uh, he talks about. They all talked about her getting getting revenge, taking care of business, and then Indy Hartwell went, "Yeah, I don't mind being in the ring with Dexter Lumis, so I can handle a bit of business of my own." Gargano's trying to trying to hold it all together, and he announces the way on the most dominant intergender four person group in NXT history. <laughs> Love that line, man. Like. When when they hit with a, a line as good as that, you realise that they do know the merit in ripping the piss out of themselves. Yeah. Because that is a thing. That is a thing that a wrestler would say for real. That's the pro- that's the problem with WWE scripting, is that like I could I could hear like Drew McIntyre saying that on Raw, the one time that he works with another guy and two women, like tonight on Raw in the main event, Bobby Lashley, we're gonna be and then he would say it and you were supposed to be like, Hey Drew, like this rips the piss out of that, yeah. and I love that. Gargano looked a tit in his headband thing. So that was great. 
Uh, Austin Theory went the wrong way. That was good physical comedy. That was so simple. Like, the way. And then they go, yeah. where are you going? <laughs> I don't know why it's, it's so simple, but it's so effective. I insist that you do it with them. Go on, get your hand in, get your hand in. Like, I, I this this really, really worked for me. I thought, I found this really effective. Um, and they're working a couple of different angles and they got there in the match too. So not a lot to hate about this. No. Uh, and a uh, very simple vignette followed with Isaiah Swerve's got, we're, we're going to mix in some tracks in the studio before kicking some tracks <laughs> in, in, in the ring. Oh, mixing some tracks. <laughs> going to lay down some tracks. Uh, probably going to sample a bit of the Beatles. Oh, cool. Well, what's your favourite Beatles albums? Probably the best of the Beatles. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't sample the Beatles, to be fair. I'd sample, uh, sample Wings. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're only the band the Beatles could have been. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's get to the <laughs> next title match of the night, uh, the Cruiserweight Championship match uh, that was set up uh, by, of course, Santos Escobar issuing an open challenge. Before that, he got a promo talking about making this championship relevant, beating, obviously, Jordan Devlin to be the undisputed Cruiserweight champion. He talked about being a champion like his father, said his son would also eventually become a champion, issued the open challenge, and it was answered by, of all people, Kushida. And my word, what a match we got off the back of this. Yeah, this was um, this was brilliant. This was honestly brilliant. Um, I didn't think they would do... Well, I said it yesterday. Like, I've got to eat my words here a little bit. I didn't think they would do the Gargano thing where the arrogant champion comes out and loses because I just felt it was too soon after Gargano and Leon Ruff. However, this was very different. This is a very different way of delivering the same message because Kushida wasn't relying on... Santos Escobar to slip on a banana skin. 
He was there to out-wrestle a guy. Now, there is arguments to be made, of course, that how has Kashi just walked into the title shot having lost a takeover match? Um, what this does is effectively lowers the Cruiserweight title on the uh, the title rankings scale yeah. because Pete Dunne has won and he's tacitly alluded to the fact that he's going to fight for the NXT title. Kushida has lost, so it's like, oh, I'll just go into the lower division then. I'll just uh, I'll wrestle in League One for a little bit uh, like until play, I can get myself. Is that the old plate cut used to play? And if you're in like a school tournament, yeah, you know, immediately. Like, oh, secondary tournament! All the crap teams have got knocked out. <laughs> What's that Europa League? Um, so yeah, the Cruiserweight <laughs> Championship. Cruiserweight Championship is now the Europa League. Um, and Kashida, I guess, gained entry to that by virtue of even wrestling on takeover. There's problems there, but this is, you know, this is what you get as a result of not having a, a tightly established win-loss record. The match, however, was oh. tremendous. Tremendous. The best we've seen out of Kashida in a little while, um, excluding, I would say, the Pete Dunne match, which again was superb. There is a lot to be said for keeping Kashida within the confines of uh, 15 minutes and under. Mm. And that's not on him. That's just on the fact that there's a certain electricity that comes when he's hitting that comeback stuff about eight minutes and you're actually heading for a finish, not for the second half of the match. <laughs> then, like it really, really energizes you. You get him at his most electrifying, felt totally believable and justified as a winner here. He's done it in a roll up. So it means that like a pin in hold rather than just hitting him with a finisher. So what that means is that Escobar says, well, that doesn't count because unless you beat me with a finisher, you're pinfalls that like they <laughs> believe that's an effective way to set up a rematch, which I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, but I hope Kushida wins the rematch because I think as good as Escobar's been, um, I felt higher on the cruiserweight. I, you can't help how you feel. In my gut, I felt higher on this division as Kushida walked away with that belt than I did when Santos Escobar walked in. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the potential we get with Kushida as champion as well, like Kushida versus Swerve, Kushida versus Jake Atlas. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> That poor old Escobar's that already had. He's just like, yeah, do it again. Just do it again and do this match again. Because like you say, I just thought these works, these two works so well together. That lion tamer on top of the steps was, oh. was a thing of beauty. And then that was obviously followed by a bloody super Frankensteiner as well, uh, as he often does, because she'd obviously going for the arm. Uh, Escobar constantly fighting out, of, fighting out of it. Hammerlock superplex by Kushida, another Hammerlock suplex into a bridge. And uh, oh, Escobar just gets his foot on the ropes. Uh, and then, like you say, just the, their moves just flow brilliantly into each other. The case in point, Kashida going for that handspring back elbow and Escobar just going, I'm just going to hit you with a backstabber instead. Just wonderful stuff. And then, like you say, uh, exchanging exchanging uh, pinfall attempts, exchanging cradles and stuff. Uh, Kashida just holds him to have a three, basically. Like you say, that's mm -hmm. just going to give him an excuse to, to run it back. Um and stay as far away as they possibly can from Kashida versus Jordan Devlin, which they also seem to tease. Uh, although Devlin is going back to the UK, I think. That seemed to be what he was alluding to, saying, I'll oh, travel, sort of saving you. I'll be back one day to, to face off against you. I have no doubt these two are capable of having a, a match on par with this. It's a sensational match. Uh, the issue, as we always have to come back to with so many performers, Michael Hamlet, is uh, I want to see that between two these two wrestlers, but I can't shake the knowledge of what's going on outside of the ring, allegations, etc. Yeah. Um, Devlin alluded, as you say, to going back to the uh, BT Sports studios here, which is where he belongs with the rest of them. Um, Kushida's reign shouldn't be tainted with those conversations. No. That's, that's how I can think to summarise that. Uh, let's get to the Escobar match. Let's get to new and interesting 
cruiserweight title matches that maybe replicate the form of iconic junior heavyweight Kushida. Um, what I would like from Kushida's reign, other than to just not fight Jordan Devlin ever, is for um, this belt now in this division to feel what you have been the highest on Santa Fescobar, and I respect the quality of his matches. But what it hasn't been has been like full of that sizzle that, mm, yeah. that it first had when they when they created the NXT Cruiserweight title in the early days of Wednesday Night War. They used that 10-minute cruiserweight match as a way to try and combat the fact that AEW had these, we called them like cocaine thrillers at the time, where like they were just doing a couple of those per episode. And NXT didn't really have anything like that. So you would get, like, it's always Leo Rush that springs to mind because he was awesome at these. But you would have a guy like Leo Rush in these matches every week where you just could not take your eyes off it. And full sale help and the atmosphere helped and all that sort of stuff. Um, Escobar's reign has been different, I think, NXT needs the original version of that type of reign. And I think Kushida is maybe the guy to give them it. Imagine if Kushida, you know, beats, it's going to be weird because again, it's a sort of babyface, babyface dynamic, but he beats Jake Atlas, he beats Swerve, he beats Escobar, he beats Devlin even. And he's like, hmm. well, who, who's left? Who's left to face? And considering you're not bloody doing anything with him, Angel Garza comes back. Oh, please. oh yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing. Absolutely. And this is it. They're not short on guys that they could pull from Raw and SmackDown that they're not using. The regular 205 live rotation kind of coming one at a time. Like, I, I want to have some high hopes for this division going forward. Hmm. Uh, we had a promo with Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. They were omni on ring what titles to go after. And thankfully, uh, as you mentioned, Pete Dunne targeting, uh, targeting the world title, it seems. And they went, actually, we'll go for the tag titles. And they uh, announced their intentions to go after MSK. And that's another match I can't wait to see. It's really great, this man. It's really, really great. Um, I was so pleased that Thatcher didn't turn on Champer at TakeOver. You know? I, yeah. was, I was glad that just didn't figure into it at all. Really like this team. Um, like that Champa can... Champa got enough of his star quality back at Stand and Deliver that he felt like this was an okay recovery after that defeat mm-hmm. because, my God, he fought for it. You know, you just backed him every step of the way. Um, while we wait for the prestigious... MSK Grizzled Young Vets match. Let's have MSK and the Grizzled Old Ones instead. <laughs> like the, this is such a benefit of our MSK's tag team champions because we've already kind of booked our way to a, a takeover match between these two and Gibson and Drake, and yet they've thrown you this, and you're just as into this combination. That happens when the champions are hot, when the champions are fresh, and when the champions are different to everybody else. Um, it's it the. I don't want to not like I don't want to bury Champer and Thatcher here because obviously they're the other half of this. But that sort of stuff really helps when you've got champions as dynamic as MSK. You want to see the different pairings that they can come up with. Yeah, and I realise we moaned a lot about how many bloody ladder matches we got last year. But wait another couple of months, and I think a ladder <laughs> match. I mean, people forget how many big bad bumps that um, Gibson and Drake took in that. I think it was the NXT UK Tag Team Title match, yes. and uh, yeah. yeah, the potential for like. Champa, Thatcher, Grizzled, Grizzled Young Vets, MSK, and Maverick and Dane. You can pick, there's a whole host of Brizango. You take your pick. Like a four-way ladder match. Oh, please. Yes, please. Put me, put my name mm. down for a bit of that in the in the summer. Um, right, let's move on next to uh Raquel Gonzalez. She was introduced by Dakota Kai, which already Got me very excited of like, mm. yep, they know what they've got. They know where this is going. She's like going to start slowly glancing at that title and taking credit 
for the stuff she shouldn't have. Although, to be fair, Raquel Gonzalez did acknowledge her here. Uh, she talked about the fact uh, she was supposed to debut a year and a half ago when NXT first came to the USA Network, but she wasn't ready. But now, uh, 18 months later, she is the champion. She thanked Dakota Kai for her help along the way. She put over Io Shirai as a great champion, but she said the Raquel Gonzalez era had officially begun. And with that, the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, it is the debut as we anticipated, of Frankie Monet. She walks down to the ring with Prince Presley, the Pomeranian. Thank you to the internet for informing me of that one. Gets into the ring, confronts Gonzalez. Uh, back and forth, she introduces herself. She puts herself over. She said she was going to be seeing a lot more of her uh, here in NXT and uh, threatened her, basically announced her intentions to go after the title. And Gonzalez responded, I think... I'm not mistaken here, Hamlet, by saying she was going to shove the dog up her ass. Is that right? Yeah, not as a dog been in such danger on a wrestling show since one appeared at an AW pay per view. Um, <laughs> and before, and the only way I can see this ending is uh, a retelling of the Big Boss Man story. Michael <laughs> Gonzalez has got any, anything about her. She needs to feed her that dog in a hotel room, <laughs> like the old days. The former Ty of Valkyrie just looks. It just. I just looked, sat there, looked at this, and we'd, we'd talk about what's going to come in a second. And the announcement of, is it Saray? Am I pronouncing that right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It was just like, well, all right, leave some bloody women's talent for the other people. Because Jesus <laughs> Christ, is bursting at the seams without even mentioning bloody Io Shirai in all this, who may well be leaving. No, this was, um, it's probably too hard to this. So it's probably best to, to talk about um, Monet's debut first, which I thought was tremendous. Um, yeah, it's like you it's like you say, because we have all this and we have Mercedes Martinez earlier in the show basically calling her shot against um, Gonzalez. We have a Zoe Stark who is an up-and-comer that wants to try and stop that shot and probably won't this time around, but will, you know, she'll ultimately be a challenger. We've got Dakota Kai being positioned as a natural opponent in some really delicately handled storytelling, I thought here. This was so good. Like, this is what I want to, like, heap full of praise. Gonzalez was a touch too smiley for me here, and we're going to get to that more in the next half, in the second half of this promo, because I want to make a, a comparison or something. But yes. Dakota, Dakota Kai's relationship with Raquel Gonzalez as a as a grateful baby face, as she kind of, like, gave off those energies, it was fantastic. Mm. Dakota Kai didn't go too heavy on the, she'd be nothing if she wasn't for me, but here she is, my friend. You know, there wasn't that sort of, the subtlety of a brick in the face that they sometimes do, where you're like, all right, fair enough. Like, she was still quite earnestly kind to her. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be laid on thick that of course she wants the belt that's draped over her shoulder. Of course she does. Of course she must feel a bit jealous that if it wasn't, she's going to be thinking, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. You said it yourself. Like, I love the detail that, Raquel Gonzalez says she wasn't ready when NXT debuted in the USA because that even empowers Dakota Kai's belief that she got her there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like you were not like Dakota Kai can now start thinking you were nothing without me without actually saying it. Show us it, don't tell us it. Really, really loved all that. There is a there is a very very small margin um, where Raquel Gonzalez can smile and say, "Oh yeah, sure, I was tough, but I was tougher. I'm going to be a fighting champion, all that sort of stuff." Um, they went just about to the line without going over it until the stuff that came after Frankie Monet. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I, I didn't even hear, I didn't even hear it at all. We'll get to it. 
other than up to that point, hugely, hugely effective. Slight back step after the fact. Yeah. Uh, and if you're sat there thinking, then there's some sort of blueprint we could follow for this. Literally what happened with Sasha Banks and, and Bayley, <laughs> but maybe with roles slightly changed, obviously. But that was perfect. Me and Hample have bounced off the walls uh, about it and then also bit through our bloody fingers, nervous that they were going to screw it up. But they didn't. We can now finally look back and go, they absolutely nailed that. Um, and that's that's the, the route, slightly tweaked, obviously, with the, the heel babyface dynamic, but that's the route they need to head down. Uh, anyway, what came next, as you mentioned, uh, Frankie Monet was, was gone. And then suddenly, Rhea Ripley's music hits. Huge reaction for her, of course. Uh, former NXT Women's Champion, she had a saga with Raquel Gonzalez and wars. I just loved those two working together. She comes down with a Raw Women's Championship draped over her shoulder. She comes down, there's a moment of a stare down between her and Raquel Gonzalez. But instead of coming to blows one final time, they clink belts, they smile, they hug, they celebrate their achievements. And then Bianca Belair's music hits. Bianca Belair is back in NXT. She comes down, copy-paste uh, what we saw with Rhea, but with the SmackDown Women's Championship, they all clink belts, they all hug, they all celebrate. There's that wonderful um, juxtaposition of them. There's a photo of them from, from back in the day when they're all just plucky young hopefuls in NXT and look at where they are now, and they celebrated together. I know you've got issues with, with this in terms of Raquel Gonzalez, but I thought this was just a wonderful moment and really warm the cockles of my heart. Yeah, this was pretty cool. Like, I'm I'm not so dead inside that I didn't get a certain enjoyment out of this. This was this was like earnestly nice. Celebrating achievements is an, a nice thing from a company <laughs> that isn't always very nice. So, like, I'm I'm all for that in principle. Uh, I, something didn't feel right in my gut when I was watching this, and it took a little while for me to work out what that was. And there is a point that I've laboured on for years. And if you've ever watched any of Adam Wilborn's YouTube lists that feature Diesel, he's probably talked to you about it because I've always included it in the writing and forced him to mention it. <laughs> there was a magazine co- there's a magazine cover in uh, for the January 1995 WWF magazine, um, which featured breaking news, Diesel wins the belt because, of course, he'd beaten Bob Backlund in rather surprising fashion just after the Survivor Series. Um, and Diesel is there with a the belt over his shoulder and Big Daddy Cool had a mile-wide grin. He's only been babyface five minutes. He's only been the champion five minutes. And the coolest, hardest guy that you've backed to deck everybody all year, eventually deck his former friend, Shawn Michaels, is suddenly basically asking you to say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and believe in yourself. Because Vince was so obsessed with making a new Hulk Hogan that everybody was going to try and be Hulk Hogan, including a completely different kettle of fish and diesel. I got a little bit of that out of this Raquel Gonzalez smiling wave at the end. I would have had no problem with the mutual respect, the mutual celebration, the moment, as you say. But what struck me as they all held up those belts, and this wasn't ideal, was that maybe the people in the picture were cooler than the people in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, it's fine this week. It is fine this week. Yeah. I appreciate the detail. Especially, I tell you what I really liked about this was the detail of Raquel, uh, Dakota Kai not being in the ring with them. Mm-hmm. Like, off you go. Another reason for the heel to feel justified in their eventual actions. It, I, really, just like when she turned on Tegan Knox, 
Mm-hmm. Like you could trace that back to her being completely justified in that turn on her, just like you think it'll be when she turns on. She's going to rue the day she turns on Gonzalez because when she does, Gonzalez is going to kill her. <laughs> but like the turn, the turn will feel totally justified and earned, and all that stuff's great. Uh, it's okay to start baby facing Raquel Gonzalez because that was that would have been swimming against the tide to try and keep her as a heel. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the way she works, the way she looks, the way she acts. You can't keep that act a heel for very long in modern wrestling because people are going to enjoy it too much. Um, but yes, some of the smiling and the celebration, I'll tell you what was made it worse was that Triple H had to get his picture with them afterwards. I do wonder if I would feel differently if I hadn't yeah, seen that shot yeah. as well. And WWE want you to see it. Let's not pretend this is just one for one for Twitter or whatever. Like They want you to see all that. It's as important to them that Triple H gets his beauty shot because Bruce Pritchard has spent the last six months undermining his entire developmental system. So that like gives him a bit of stroke back in this never-ending tug-of-war between those two. Um, rest is really good. As long as you get back to business for Gonzalez next week, like, and there's less of this, I think you were, this was the night to do it. This was the one night to do it. Don't get daft with it. No, exactly. And, and you need that transition from happy, smiling baby face to like, like you say, the moment where someone pisses her off, whether they're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to die now, whoever that may be yeah. first. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be enjoyable to see where they go next uh, with all three women. Don't mess them up, main roster. Uh, this is where we got mm. the uh, promo from Pete Dunn saying he's targeting a title and the uh, vignette hyping the arrival of Saray. Um, yeah, that's what we're going for, the warrior of the sun. Uh, and no pressure, but they're like, look, we've had... Asker, Kyrie, EO, and now we got yeah, we got uh, Saray. Just following those incredible footsteps, love. I like no pressure is is right. Um, uh, yeah, like great because you're telling me to get hyped for somebody coming in. But if anything, this feels a little bit like they're doing one of them bait and switches where she doesn't even get the bell doesn't ring and then Mercedes Martinez chokes her out or something. Mm. You know, like one of them, like NXT is quite cute with those, aren't they? They're, they're kind of like, they tee you up for something, then you get something else. Because um, if not, like, she's got to be amazing. She's got to be absolutely amazing, night one, right out the gate. So quite a lot of pressure on this. Mm. Um, I, I hope it's I hope it's not the gag. I actually hope she's just awesome. Mm. And everything we've already said about, Christ, lads, you're stacking the women's division pretty high again. They've just added one more to the stack. <laughs> like, I'm all... I'm all for it. Like, let them compete. Let there be loads of dream new combinations. Tends to be when a woman's champion of great renown loses the belt in NXT, it represents the turn of the wheel and you get a lot of new faces all at once Mm. because it helps re-establish the division. It's the reason why it's the most prestigious belt in the whole company is that the whole division kind of starts again. It isn't like the division is always in a champion's image. So outside of one or two that tend to stick around, you suddenly get a raft of new contenders with it. This could be that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Uh, one person who may not be sticking around in NXT is Roderick Strong. Uh, we saw him earlier arriving with his missus, uh, Marina Shafir, and he hands Regal an envelope in his office and says he is done in NXT. Regal said he was welcome back anytime, but it looks like he gave his notice. Is this Roderick Strong leaving NXT, Michael Hamlet? I don't know, but I like it. Really, really like this. Um, it's absolutely fine for, like, I admire their commitment to Strong. It wasn't about Strong walking out on a match because he had a bad day. It was about Strong not wanting to be here anymore. Um, I wish more WWE wrestlers, rather than whinging in promos, would act upon their instincts and leave the place they're in to go somewhere else. Like, I want to buy that Roderick Strong has been left too 
disconsolate by what's happened to the Undisputed Era that he just doesn't want to be in NXT anymore. Um, whether this is a nice way to write him out entirely or for him to, and this is what I'm dreading, for him to instead be an outsider. So like, we can't control Roderick Strong because he's not in the books anymore. I hate all that because yeah. you can't control him. Your building should have security. That makes you inept. Um, it makes your wrestlers look like children again. So don't do that. Like, I want him to go. I, like, I, I love Roderick Strong, but I like this commitment to the bit from the other week. So I hope that this is a sign that he's going to appear on Raw or SmackDown. SmackDown, possibly, please. Possibly that um, NXT Evolve thing that we're mm, going to do. Yeah. He was like he was like an original evolve guy, so maybe that's the direction. Marina Shafia is interesting because they've just not used her in NXT. Um, maybe there's a sign that she might end up linking back up with Shayna Baszler. That would be tremendous. Uh, I hope they follow, I hope they commit to this, hope they follow through with it. Doesn't mean that you never return to strong versus um Cole or strong versus O'Reilly, but it's almost nice to have that in the back pocket. Mm. Like, I really hope this is the end for strong on NXT and something new, something new for him awaits. I'd, uh, I'd prefer him obviously see him on SmackDown because it's the better brand out of the two of them if he doesn't do the NXT Evolve thing, which actually Andy mentioned on the news as well this morning. So, yeah, that could well be the case. Um, I would like to see that. But the potential of these two going to, to Raw, not only to, to have Marina Shafir uh, reconnect with Shayna Baszler, who's really lost her way and through no fault and just awful booking. Um, and if I was a mid-card champion with a history of back problems, I'd be quite concerned. Seamus, <laughs> sorry, mate. Aye, that's... Yeah, match wise, um, strong will like strong is a guy, no, it gets them all in the end. But strong is a guy where initially his contributions to those three hour roles would be so valuable mm. because Seamus has been just not a revelation because obviously he's always been pretty good. But Seamus has shown lately that, and, and Riddle, I have to confess, that you can have matches in these Thunderdome roles where you are actually taken out of the sterile atmosphere and you are taken yeah. out of the fact that this show's three goddamn hours long. Strong is is like strong is absolutely perfect for that environment until they ruin him. They will ruin him. They ruin yeah. everybody. But like initially it'll be great. What's your thing on um, the Masara the Backbreaker? Back fetish is it? It's just like oh no. <laughs> Uh, right, then we had the grudge match, Leon Ruff, uh, Swerve. Sorry, I'm just imagining like his gimmick is that he makes all the people in the Thunderdome Zoom calls turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at all the screens, oh my God. Was that, was that the, called the Poznan? For football? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the Zoom calls doing the Poznan. <laughs> Roderick Strong can't concentrate. Marina, we're leaving. <laughs> Marina! Oh, I still, I still, still pop every time I see uh, Marina Shafir and, and uh, Roderick Strong together, purely because of that photo <laughs> she tweeted after their honeymoon. <laughs> Broken back. Um, right then, we got the uh, the grudge match: Leon Ruff, Isaiah Swerve, Scott. Uh, they kick the crap out of each other here. Super Frankensteiner. Uh, missile drop kicks, springboard flip die, springboard cutters from Ruff bumping all over the place. Uh, Ruff got near fall as well uh, from a victory roll, uh, but this time Scott blocks a second Super Frankensteiner. Snake eyes. Scott is moving with this finisher, but this continues because later on Ruff was uh, sat backstage and Scott murdered him with a storage crate. I know, man. I just I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of admiration for what Leon Ruff has managed to mine from that first win over Johnny Gargano. This has not been like 
one win and then back to two or five live with you. Mm. He feels part of the furniture already on NXT, which is yeah. perhaps why other bits of perhaps why other bits of furniture are getting pushed into him. I don't know, but like, oh, I didn't love this match. You know, it was I kind of maybe this was why like I thought it was a bit botchy, and I wondered if they were trying so hard to impress that it did that thing where you maybe can see yeah. it's so awkward, but you can see wrestlers. I don't want to criticize people for trying really hard in the jobs, but like sometimes when you can see wrestlers trying so hard, it actually takes you away from being able to enjoy the match. This was supposed to be a blood feud. And the only element of it that makes it a blood feud is that it's still a blood feud, that it's still going on, you know? Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's a vibe sometimes, and it wasn't there for this one. Um, Leon Ruff, I feel, could do, maybe Swerve as well, but I like they've, they've acknowledged that the Cruiserweight title is a relegation. Leon Ruff could probably do great things with Kushida. Mm. Um, so maybe he's a cruiserweight title challenger down the line. I just I don't need any more of this. No. And this was one of the things where NXT for so much felt either brand new, fresh, or conclusive. And this was neither of those things. I didn't like that. Yeah, I felt like, well, that's that. And then they you tagged him backstage and I went, oh, that wasn't that. Okay, fair enough. Continue yeah. on with this. Yeah. I think they're kind of just spinning their wheels with Swerve because he can do just, I mean, Leon Ruff too, but Swerve can do so much more. Um, yeah, just needs to get a series of wins over someone else, not called Leon Ruff, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. This was the point following that, that we got Zoe Stark getting interviewed and confronted by Mercedes Martinez. Can't wait for that match. And then the main event, it was the way versus Bronson Reed, Dexter Loomis, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. I sort of rolled my eyes when we previewed this and then really quite enjoyed this main event. I thought, it was really well blocked out in terms of an intergender match. Um, and the fact of the people that you've got working with the men aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. And, you know, it's not just like, right, tag, you need to get out of here now because it's now the men are going to fight or the women are going to fight or whatever. They're trying to recover Bronson Reed from the 50-50 of last week. Uh, he cleans house after getting the hot tag. Lorraine goes for a flying crossbody and just bounces off him. Um, <laughs> everyone then hits, gets a uh, moment to get their stuff in, basically. And uh, just some great spots with women hitting moves on the men in the match, basically. Moon hits uh, Gargano with a tope. Lorraine hits a tornado DDT uh, on Loomis to the floor. Reed... Military bless presses Shotzi Blackheart uh, onto everyone outside, and then Dexter Loomis has got 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 in his submission when Indy Hartwell seizes her opportunity, comes in, looks like she's going to attack him uh, and break up the submission, but she can't bring herself to do it. So instead, she just faints to the mat. Effectively, this cracks <laughs> Loomis, who goes to check on her, and. It, then Theory comes in, uses the opportunity to attack Loomis. Harwell's furious at this. She's like, <laughs> moment, Austin, leave me alone. So she hoys Austin Theory over the top rope. And whilst Dexter Loomis is recovering on the floor, she lays herself back out again on the apron and he picks her up and carries her backstage. And as they're heading back, she opens her eyes, winks at the camera. I'm going to get your thoughts on that in a second. I'll just talk about the finish. Uh, Reed just looks like a monster. Uh, takes out Theory. Moon hits a uh, hits an eclipse off Reed's shoulders uh, to 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 Theory. Gargano stops him from hitting a splash. Another uh, attempt. Well, then uh, Gargano then attempts a suplex, which doesn't work. 
the Ray attempts to suplex, it doesn't work, and Reed eventually hits Tsunami on Austin Theory for the victory. Never mind all that. What is going on with Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis? I, I don't know, but I wish the cameras had kept on following them. Uh, salacious as it may have been. Yeah. I, I loved the out of this match. Like, I loved the bones of this thing. Like, I'd, it just, you know that, like, you know that bit at the end of the 40-year-old virgin where, like, the, sorry, spoiler if you've not seen this 15-year-old film, but where <laughs> the 40-year-old virgin, played by Steve Carell, finally has sex. And then they do that really good bit when they got married and it's like, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I felt like the clouds were lifting over NXT throughout this. <laughs> like, it never stopped. It was really, really funny. It was proper inventive, as you say. Like, they're so... WWE is so picky about intergender wrestling. That's a debate for 50 million podcasts on another day. <laughs> but the way that it, the way that it was utilised here was expert. It didn't betray any of the in-universe rules they have about intergender wrestling. Indy Hartwell, Dexter Loomis stuff was piss funny. Really, really good. Want to see more from them. Like, I, I don't want this to sound as perverted as it's going to sound, but I want Indy Hartwell to ask him to paint it like one of his French girls. Um, <laughs> I thought Gargano and Larray were just amazing. I said this every. I feel like I say it more about Larray than I do Gargano, but they both deserve credit. Yeah. It's great, great watching wrestlers be the glue, isn't it? Great watching wrestlers be generals. Like piecing all this together, like the puzzle that it was, and it was a puzzle. If you look at the sort of all the moving parts, which was brilliant. Um, yeah, it was breezy. Everyone looked awesome. Like everyone, um, got like as you say, they got their stuff in, which can sometimes be like a way to be critical of a match. But I think in this case, it was just. It was too fun and light to take seriously. And when you've got a match like that, that's what you do, is you just get your stuff in. Proper house show, main event energy about it. Mm. And NXT has missed an energy like this in such a long time. Um, I don't think, bit of critical analysis, this doesn't recover Bronson Reed. He's just 50-50-50, isn't he? Mm. Like, he's just like, he's, wins, loses, wins, loses, wins, loses. Doesn't matter. It's not going to work. The way aren't gonna the way aren't gonna win the tag titles. Bronson Reed isn't gonna win the North American title. If anything, this was to tie both tie bow around both of those. I think. I think you move every character in this match in a different direction next week, yeah. and this was a wonderful way to end it with that one wrinkle of a new storyline for Dexter Lumis and Indy Hartwell. I I loved this man. I got so much out of this. Such an over delivery for me. This. They said no right as well because like we sat here and moaned about the constant going back to oh bloody hell it's still going on with Dexter Lumis and. Gargano and Theory, and we're still going on with the way and, and Blackheart and Ember Moon. Now, the only way I can describe it is like when I saw this was the main event, I was like, oh, okay, that's the main event, is it? That's that's what we're finishing on. And then, like you say, I was blown away by it all. I thought the, the dynamics of it all worked great. I can only compare it to like a picky tea, basically. Which is, <laughs> yes, that's yes, that's exactly it. For people who don't really know what we're talking about there, if they're not down with it's more more uh, lingo for our American friends. A picky tea is basically just leftovers. Like mm -hmm. I've, there's an argument to be made that the meal after Christmas dinner is a lot better than Christmas dinner. Uh, I'll give you another example as well, um, and this tends to happen a lot when either you've got kids or you're a man child yourself or a woman child. Um, la like last of the freezer oven dinner. Yeah. So day before the big shop, what you got in? Uh, three fish fingers, 
Uh, not enough chips to make a full dinner, but it's okay because there's a couple of chicken nuggets. Get them on the plate. The entire plate's orange, pretty much. <laughs> like you've just you've just about got enough to make like one full dinner or like a couple of children's dinners. But absolutely nobody's complaining. Butter a couple of pieces of bread with it if you like. Turn half of it into a sandwich. Like nobody complains. I, picky tea oven dinner. That's exactly what this was. Nobody ever in history has complained about a picky tea and oven dinner. No, exactly. Normalise having that as your special fancy dinner when you have friends over. Yeah, 100%. But like, that's it. That's it. I'd, I'd hold more dinner parties if expectations of me were to tear open four of those bags from Iceland. Honestly, like I'd be, I'd look like one of the feasts off one of the advert you get at Christmas. <laughs> mm. What did, what were these uh, beer battered onion rings made in? Uh, my oven. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> preheated for 20 minutes. <laughs> Why'd you ask? I would love to see your prawn ring, Michael Hanfler. And on that note... <laughs> God damn it. Finish up today's podcast. Oh, let us know your thoughts on NXT this week on Twitter. Apologies. <laughs> at WWE Watch. They can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hanfler at... Zero tweets about that, please. At Michael Hanfler. Oh, you can grass us up to dad at msidrick. You follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including myself and Michael Hamlet. Sit down later on today to preview AEW Dynamite. Isn't this far more reasonable? Just spacing out the wrestling, wrestling all the time. Uh, but anyway, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.